you're listening to the Real Estate Insider Podcast. A bold look at reality. News, analysis, strategies, and opinions direct from the veteran team at the Rain Research Institute. It's time to get on the inside track. Hey everyone, it's Madison Norton here from the Real Estate Investment Network, and this is the Real Estate Insider Podcast. Big happy Easter to everybody out there. For those folks with a short week, we envy you. And for those that are back at it today, go hard this week. When it comes to creating more cash flow and quicker profits, many people's ears perk up at the sound of that opportunity. Now, the best way to learn about these strategies is clearly to hear it from the horse's mouth. And the leading expert on this topic has to be Barry McGuire. Barry joins us this week to talk about two really cool strategies for creating faster cash in real estate. Those are agreements for sale and rent to own. Now, Barry has over 40 years in the business as a lawyer, so his expertise and knowledge second to none. These terms, they might sound a bit foreign to you, but whether or not you've heard them before, you're going to find out how you can capitalize on the real estate market and in some cases, be able to do it without even qualifying for a mortgage. The reality of quick turn real estate strategies is that some of the words and experiences make the uninformed public cringe just a little bit. And this is not uncommon. When something is not understood and not realized, the most common reaction is to reject it. So the fact is, these strategies are legitimate, they're proven, and they can put some big money in your pocket. If you want to get creative with your real estate portfolio, listening to Barry is your first step in learning some new, innovative, and effective strategies for cashing in on the real estate market. So listen up and take some notes. Here's Barry McGuire. Let's imagine you're capped out at mortgages and you can't get any more mortgages. Let's imagine you have no more money for down payments. Now, I know nobody in this room is on that, in, this, in that position, so I'm kind of speaking, speaking to, to a, like a blank screen here. So let's imagine if you can buy real estate without qualifying for a mortgage, and maybe you can get into properties without putting any of your own capital in. Have I got your attention? Would anyone like to learn how to do those strategies? Okay, as bank financing gets tighter, as it gets more and more uh, maybe rules in place for self-employed uh, uh, entrepreneurs, you need more alternative strategies to buying real estate and put good cash flow in your pocket. And one more thing, imagine this. Imagine if you can make between 40 to 50% ROI on each profit guaranteed from the beginning. Now we're talking about Fantasy Island, but just wait to hear what Barry McGuire has to say. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Mr. Barry McGuire. So we got a couple of, uh, couple of what we call tales from the trenches tonight. Tales from the trenches are stories that uh, we bring to the stage from my clients and from members. They, they phone me up and, and talk about pieces of something or other that they've stepped in and what are they gonna do, and we use them as teaching moments. So that's what Tales from the Trenches is all about. Tonight we have a, a couple of tales. One is on what's called agreements for sale, which is really a seller financing technique, and the other is on lease options or rent to own, as it sometimes is sometimes called. Now, before I dive into those tales, I just want to say that, you know, overall, we are a buy and hold organization. Overall, that's what we do. The majority of my portfolio is buy and hold. Every once in a while, we run into opportunities that allow some of these other strategies to be used, but that's not what I do all the time and probably not what you're going to do all the time either. So 
It's my little niece, Adriana, a little girl I never had with the uh, rescue dog, Alfie. She's sitting at my kitchen table pretending to work on her homework and improve her B's and C's up to A's and B's so she can go to Disneyland. That's what she says she's doing. I don't know. I think she's playing with a dog. Okay, first tale. Creative cash takes time and effort. And the quotation we've got, geniuses themselves don't talk about the gift of genius. They just talk about hard work and long hours. James Cash Penny. James Cash Penny. Other, better known as J.C. Penny of department store fame in the, in the U.S. A very smart guy, James Cash Penny. Built his empire from nothing to 1,400 stores in about 20 years. He was a really good guy to his employees. But, and he was smart, but he said it's all about hard work. And so when we're talking about these creative strategies, we have to remember that they're just not smooth as silk. There's lots of work that you have to do. There's lots of stuff you have to learn. And there's lots of effort that you have to put in. So that's just the way it is if you're going to make giant sums of money using creative real estate. All right. So we're going to talk first about this thing called agreements for sale. So to, to set, the, set, the, uh, set the stage, one of our members found a property in his community. There was a mom and a dad and a ne'er-do-well son. Uh, mom and dad's marriage was falling apart. The son was in and out of jail. Uh, you know, things are f- falling to bits, really. The property's worth about $200,000. They owe $10,000 in mortgage arrears. And this has gone past the bank, knocking on your door and say, please pay up. It's already at the lawyers and in foreclosure. And, and maybe going to be taken away from them pretty quick. So it's well along the foreclosure path. They owe $4,000 in condo fees. And what's an owner going to do in that circumstance? They don't want the property anymore. They only have $10,000 worth of equity, but they don't really because they have to pay up these arrears. You can't, you can't get a realtor. How many realtors in the room? Anybody? They're all outside talking. I mean, really, if somebody comes along and wants to list that property with you, you take a look at it and go, there's nothing in here. We can't, we can't list the property. There's not enough room to pay the commission. What if we only get 195000 instead of two hundred? So that doesn't work. So if you want to buy this property on the buying side, if it's creative, then it isn't a conventional mortgage. It's not a CMHC mortgage, is it? It's none of those things. It's this thing called an agreement for sale which, as I said, is a seller financing technique. An agreement for sale is both a document and a concept. The concept is that the seller sells you the property for often a small sum of money, and they're your bank for the rest of the dough. They're your bank for the rest of the money. A couple of key things, and the major thing about agreements for sale, and what sellers love, is that the title does not go into your name as the buyer. Title stays in the seller's name. You can file something against the title saying you have an interest in the property. But sellers are comforted by knowing that the title remains in their name. So that's one thing. And I guess the other thing is is that the the seller is now your bank. doesn't matter whether he's got a big mortgage on the property. Like in this case, the mortgage was $190,000 on a $200,000 value property. Or a, a tiny mortgage or no mortgage at all. You're not assuming the underlying mortgage. The seller is lending you money. So that's the nature of the agreement for sale. Our members suggested this to these folks, and it was tough slugging, let me tell you, because you really want to know the background of these things. Hard getting information out of the foreclosure lawyers because they don't want to give you information because they're so inundated by people who think foreclosures are the great way to buy property that 
you know, they just don't want to talk to people because they're not getting paid for it. Condo Corp wasn't very helpful. This foreclosure thing had, had gone back and forth with these folks a couple of times. It wasn't the first crack at it. They'd go into foreclosure, they'd pay it up, they'd go into foreclosure, they'd pay it up. But finally, we got enough information to say we knew what was going on with the property. We knew what the arrears were, both condo and, and, and mortgage. And so we wrote up a contract using a standard area form, standard area real estate purchase contract, MLS contract, and a specialized agreement for sale schedule. Kind of need a specialized one to describe how much the seller is lending you, what the terms are. We found the owners a lawyer who understands agreement for sale, which is an old concept. Agreements for sale were very popular in Alberta when you needed to put down 50% or a giant down payment before CMHC. I mean, not many people were buying houses using a bank if it was a 50% down payment. So sellers often sold by way of agreement for sale or with a, with a VTB mortgage. What have I done? I'll figure it out. We wrote up the offer. We got him to a lawyer who understands uh, agreements for sale. It went relatively smoothly in there. One thing we really wanted in what we call these low equity, no equity deals. You know, in a property worth 200,000, if there's only $10,000 between the value of the mortgage and the, and, the, and the value of the property, that's low equity. That's low equity. We wanted a full power of attorney, full power of attorney. The seller in this case is gonna get all the money they're getting up front. Once they get all that money, Where's their skin in the game? Why do they care about what's going on? In a couple of years, when it's time to pay out that agreement for sale, what if they're not around? What if they're not around? So we really like to get a full power of attorney, but they wouldn't give it to us. And our member kind of back and forth, should I or shouldn't I? Anyway, he decided to close without the power of attorney. We did get a transfer of land, which is the document that moves the title from the sellers to the buyers. And we closed on the deal with our member paying $16,000 cash. 10 for the mortgage arrears that had to be paid up, four for the condo fees, and 2,000 for the seller's lawyer's legal fees. These people, sellers, have no money. They have no money, so our member paid the seller's lawyer's legal fees, and agreements for sale are document heavy, and you know the fees are a little bit higher. Close the deal and put a great tenant in the property, trouble with the bank, CIBC is the bank, we wanna make sure the mortgage pay, underlying mortgage payments are being made, they don't wanna deal with us, we have a management agreement, they don't care. And the reason is it's gone to foreclosure, when it goes off to the lawyers for foreclosure, you can't talk to the people at the branch anymore. They, they go, talk to the foreclosure guys, and you say, but we paid it all up, it's all, it should be back with you at the branch. And they go, yeah, right, but it isn't, so kiss off. Anyway, sorted through that, sorted through the condo fees. They didn't like our, our, uh, the sellers either because of all the trouble they were in, in collecting fees. Put a great tenant in with some positive cash flow. Wasn't great positive cash flow, it was 100 bucks a month, not bad. Now we fast forward two years. The underlying CIBC mortgage had a term that expired in, I think it was July of this year. So that's what we set the agreement for sale term for as well. It's a good idea to match up the term of the underlying mortgage with the term of the agreement for sale money that you owe the seller so they're both due at the same time. So you're not worrying about payout penalties. Is our member in the clear? Is he finished? Is he done? 
No, he's not done. Because when he goes off to see his broker or his bank, and he wants to either refinance or sell to somebody else, they go, show us the title. They're picky because of money laundering and terrorism and mortgage fraud. Lenders and title insurance companies want to see that the name on the contract as the seller is also the name on the title. And it isn't our guy's name on the title. What's he going to do? Well, I'll tell you what he did. He went to, after he tried his regular lenders, he went off to see Dale Keller at Calvert Home Mortgage. Dale was up on the stage earlier. Said to Dale, listen, the property's worth way more than the 200000 that I paid for it. I can't sell it or list it until I pay out CIBC and the title's in my name. Can you help me out? And Dale could. And some people might say, they might think that, uh, you know, the, what you have to pay to Dale for fees and interest and so forth is expensive, but we'll just get to the end of the story and you judge whether it's expensive or whether you're great, you know, really glad to know him. Got the money from Calvert Home Mortgage, paid out the existing CIBC mortgage, put the property into our client's name, listed now with a realtor, because now he can sell, and he sold it very quickly for $268,000. That was over two years. Now, when he bought it, the market was depressed, you know, $268,000. By the time he paid out the Calvert fees and the real estate commission and the legal fees and any other expenses of the deal, his return on investment or his ROI, we like to throw around that ROI, but it means return on investment, was 280% over the two years. So agreements for sale work, um, they work where a seller has not very much equity in a property, and they know they don't, and they just want to get rid of it. They work where a seller uh, doesn't mind carrying some financing. You might have a, a seller who has a clear title property, but if you tell them that you'll pay him 5%, it's the same argument or discussion that you would have when you're uh, asking a seller to carry a vendor take-back mortgage, or VTB. So they work well in at least a couple of circumstances like that. 280% ROI. Is that a useful uh, return in a couple of years? I would say. That was good. What do you think, Russell? I, I don't know. I, I think it's a real tough crowd. You guys realize that's two? Okay, listen. I made a note. 16 grand in. No mortgage to qualify. And in two years, make a 280% return on your money. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right. What do we learn out of this? So low equity or no equity doesn't mean no value. I had a couple of clients who were passing over these kinds of deals. They were, they were coming by and people would say, well, you know, I've got like 5,000 equity. And they go, no, it's no good for us. We, I mean, it's not how it works. We can't do anything with that. But low equity, no equity doesn't mean no value. If you can buy in a cyclical low, hold on and manage hard, like we like to do with all of our properties, turn it around in a couple of years you know, you can get a really, good, a really good return on this. Some downsides, I mean, I suppose uh, at the end of two years, interest rates could have risen and the market still could have been depressed. But in a case like that, you probably look at doing a renewal of the agreement for sale. Seller doesn't mind. They don't have any more money coming. And you organize it for another couple of years. Power of attorney, we've talked about that. It really is essential. Get it if you can. Argue hard to have a full and complete power of attorney so you're really in control of that property. Now, it is, this is a senior strategy. 
As I said, I really, I really think that most of us do lots of buy and hold, and I, wouldn't, I don't think you should just dive into agreements for sale as your first venture into real estate, but it's good to know about it as an alternate strategy from when one of these situations come up. So you do need lots of coaching. You need education, you need coaching, you need lots of figuring out about how this works, but it can be really, really good. So that's the end of our first tale, and we're going to hand out our... Uh, Handout our handout. I can't get over that one, Russell. So, so Barry, just oh, you put legal fees on there. So after the legal fees were accounted for, it was what, 2.8% return on the money, right? 2.8. Well, yes. no, Russell. It wasn't that oh. bad. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Come on. We lawyers have a bad rep. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the legal fees are a lot higher because there's lots of babysitting on the legal side to do. Yep. They really are. But as long as your return is decent, in the same way that uh, getting the financing from Keller... Um, from Dale Keller at Calvert Home Mortgage. To be able to do that deal, it wasn't expensive. So that is the first tale all about uh, agreements for sale. The second one is about um, lease options, sometimes called rent to own. And we've given you the handout that you get at every meeting. Different tales, of course, produce different handouts. Look to the second tale, and I just want you to spend... A couple of minutes reading the second tale, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. As you're doing that, I'm just going to chat a little bit about lease options or rent-to-own. Lease options or rent-to-own are a situation where you find someone who would like to buy a house, and for one reason or another, they cannot qualify for a mortgage. And there's lots of reasons people can't qualify. Divorce, brand-new Canadians, new businesses... And, you know, many people don't have sterling credit either. What you do is you find somebody who would like to buy but can't qualify. You qualify them, and you qualify them hard because what you want them to be able to do is in two or three years, you want them to be able to go to the bank and get a mortgage and buy the house. That's what you want. You want to turn this into a win-win. The other thing about lease options is that It's two separate and distinct concepts. Firstly, there is the leasing part of it, which is what we all do with our properties and our tenants. Who has a property with a tenant in where you get them to sign a lease? Anybody? Oh, just about the whole room. What you tack on to your steady, eddy, really good lease that you already are using is the thing called the option. And the option is a right to buy a property for a determinable price or a predetermined price within a fixed period of time. So I give you the option to buy this property for $300,000 and you have two years within which to exercise the option and buy. So that's what the option is. All right. Everybody churning through the second tail there. A lot of heads looking at me. Give you about another 15 seconds, and then we're going to, and then we're going to talk about what happened in this particular case. I have to say that in, in this room and for our members, lease options, uh, lease options go very well for our members. The reason that they go well, one of the reasons they go well is, is that our members, RAIN members, know that it's important to get a good big chunk of option money. It's no good to give somebody an option who says, you know what, I'll pay you 300 bucks a month over and above uh, my rent, and that's how I'll pay you your $20,000 option payment. 
just doesn't really work. You need a good chunk of option money up front. So in this particular case, as wasn't one of our members actually, as one of our members talking to his buddy, and he got a pretty good chunk of option money, but he didn't get enough option money. So big option money does not necessarily mean a good tenant, doesn't necessarily mean that they're gonna be a good tenant, but when, when uh, tenant buyers pay a big chunk of option money, and by that I mean at least 5% of the purchase price and preferably more. Lots of our members get more than 5% of the purchase price as the option money they pay. The option money is the money they pay to have the right to buy the property within the time period. So big option money does not necessarily mean they'll be a great tenant, but it's important for the long-term success of lease options. If you're going to do a lease option, I think you have to you have to do even more rigorous tenant screening than you would normally do if it's just somebody you're renting to. Forget about the option part. The way we achieve success here at the Real Estate Investment Network with our tenants is because we learn how to establish diligence on potential tenants. What are they going to be like? We phone landlords, we check their jobs, we do a whole bunch of stuff, all of which is aimed at making sure that we have a really good tenant. That's what we do. When you're tacking on the option part to a straight leasing situation, it's even more rigorous screening that needs to be done. And in this case, from the reading of the material in your handout, some diligence was done, but not really a lot. I expect that had they dug a little deeper with this guy who trashed the place, then they would have discovered what he was like, and they would not have leased to him to start with, and certainly would not have entered into the lease option. All right, what's next? Insurance, are you covered? So this tenant trashed the place. He was a terribly sloppy tenant, and he, you know, he did some real damage. Most insurance policies do not cover tenant vandalism. If you get your policy through park insurance, who are outside, and they've been referred to before, one of their standard clauses that they put in for RAIN members is that tenant vandalism is included. It's not an extra rider, but vandalism is included. Doesn't necessarily help you for a guy who never cleaned the stove in the two years he was in there. That's tenant sloppy. That's not vandalism. But park guys have it in there as a matter of course. Regular inspections. I inspect my properties every six months, and, and I think I should be inspecting them every three months. You know, doing it once a year is not really enough. If, our, if Joe, the guy we're talking about here, had been around to that property um, every three months, it never would have got to the stage that it was at. So regular inspections are important. And the last thing is lease options are worth it. So all along here, I've been talking about this particular um, scenario from the leasing side. Of course, the, you know, the lease option didn't close. We kicked the guy out and took his option money, and so the lease options didn't close. So I've been talking about this from the leasing side because that's often a really uh, indicator of success. But the stats say, according to the members that I work with and through some of the seminars that we've done, the stats say that a basic lease option gives you 40 to 50% return on investment. 
over the length of time that you have your lease option, 40 to 50%. That's a really important number because unless you can go out and buy a property for every one of your tenant buyers, because you've got lots of money, you need a joint venturer. You need someone who has some money to help you buy that property after you've qualified that tenant buyer. And if you can say to your JV partner, your joint venture partner, your ROI, return on investment, is going to be 20 to 25% over the projected two-year term of this lease option. That's a huge selling feature that joint ventures just love. Russell, you've done lots of joint ventures. What do you think? You didn't like that? <laughs> Russell's not talking. So even though this, um, this uh, had, this, our, our member here, our member's friend had an unhappy experience with that tenant, fact of the matter is he did the right thing. He got the, back in control of the property. He took it back. He redid some of his checklist things about how he was going to inspect and, and how much digging he was going to do before he rented. The property value was up $100,000 anyway because this was a long-term hold for him. He was just seeing if he could dispose of a property by a lease to own. And it's rented now to another tenant. He's laying off on the option part of it for a while. It's rented to another tenant that pays really nice positive cash flow. So in the end, as much as I had 20 wonderful lease options to tell you about that are all successful and without any wrinkles and crinkles, I think it's important to hear about some of these that aren't going exactly the way you think they ought to because it's part of a complicated creative strategy to understand how these things go. Now, Russell, what else do we have? Oh, yes, this workshop, this free workshop for most folks, primary and... It's, a, it's the RAIN workshop. Associate it's the members? May RAIN workshop, May which is going to be included for all primary associates, and there's a little small fee if you're online. So if you are considering RAIN, this might be a good opportunity to jump in before this. What are we teaching at that? It's a full-day event. It's just like we did in January for the all-day event. What are we we're teaching? What are we teaching, Barry? Well, we're going to get into the notion of agreements for sale and lease options and how joint ventures fit into, this, the, into the creative side of real estate. We're going to get into them in a lot more detail. Yes. And now, for those people in the room that are thinking that maybe this, this are very, very rare, rare deals type of thing, how many would you estimate of these that you've closed personally? You're one of the experts, in, especially in Alberta. How many of these have you figured you've closed? You know, Russell, I don't track that specifically, but yeah. in, in my real estate career, I've, I've done, I figure, about 10,000 real estate transactions on my own, about 10,000. And I would say that the creative side of things, whether it's lease options or agreements for sale or wholesaling or assignments, there's some other things we can talk about, between 500 and 1,000 of those 10,000 are on the creative side. So, you know, that's not a giant number, but it's a number you don't want to pass by if you know how to implement a strategy oh, that will absolutely. make you some I don't, money. I honestly think... Okay, let me ask you a question. Let's show of hands. Who really ha knows of agreement for sale in this room? Really, that's, other than what you just heard... I really think that it's, yeah. it's so few people know about it, and that's about to change. As banking regulations tighten, as the, uh, maybe more capital, everybody wants new solutions to buying more real estate and getting into it from a, from a very creative way. This is brilliant for what you're, you're talking about here, Barry. All so, right, Russell. So everyone has, their, has a handout that you got at the beginning of the night. Uh, you can fill in if you want, hand it in. There, we ha you have to register for that event. It's May 10th. And Ray members, it sounds like I'm pitching it to you, but it's free. Okay, so there's my pitch. It's free. It's so. free. And, and Barry, what's your last message for everyone? The last message is 
you know, consider these creative strategies as a supplement to your long-term buy and hold strategies. I want you to at least know about them. So if the opportunity comes by your plate, if some of your filters are showing up with some of these kinds of opportunities, I want you to be able to go, I think I have a strategy that would allow me to deal with this particular property. That's what I'm looking for you to do. Barry truly is a wealth of knowledge on the subject of quick turn real estate. If you weren't familiar with agreements for sale and rent to own investing before this conversation, you've certainly got a better idea of the pros and cons to using these strategies now. Creating faster cash and more cash flow with your real estate portfolio is something that every investor wants to incorporate into their strategy at some point. If you want to get in touch with Barry McGuire, you can read his latest blog posts and find all of his contact information on his website at www.barrycmcguire.ca. If you're at the point where mortgages are getting tougher to come by, maybe coming up with some creative financing and purchasing opportunities is right in your alley. We have a brand new event coming up on May 10th in Edmonton, Alberta, called the Quick Turn Investing Strategies Workshop. Now, Barry himself is going to be leading this event, and it's an action-packed day of learning focused on strategies like lease options, rent-to-own deals, vendor financing, and more. So if you want more information or you're interested in purchasing a ticket to the event, check out our events calendar on www.raincanada.com or phone us toll-free at 1-888-824-7346. Be sure to check us out online for even more research and expert opinions on the Real Estate Insider blog at blog.myrainspace.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RainCanada or catch us live at one of our next events. For the Real Estate Insider Podcast and the whole crew at the Real Estate Investment Network, this is Madison Norton saying, later days. Thanks for listening and engaging with the Real Estate Insider Podcast. A bold look at reality. Share the reality.